this is Allie Noland. I'm Joyce Elliott, one of your state senators. <laughs> and today we are taking over the Arkansas Times Week in Review podcast. It's Friday, January 17th, and today we're talking about Senator Elliott's official kickoff to her campaign for United States Congress, the recent debate over Governor Hutchinson's decision to allow refugees to resettle in Arkansas, and Virginia's historic ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. God, Allie, you come hard. (laughs) (laughs) A lot to talk about. Um, So, Senator Elliott, this has been a very busy week for you. Um, You officially kicked off your campaign with several high-profile events this week, but I know that you've already been working. You've been working since the day you filed. So why was it important to you to have um, public kickoff events? Well, you know, about... uh, Four or five days, but two days after I after I filed, I was in uh, White County, and about three days after that, I was in Van Buren County. And so, but I haven't had a chance to give the people in general, I think, an opportunity to see that they have a way into this campaign. And I wanted to speak to people uh, in this district. There are about seven hundred seventy thousand people in our district, and this is not a campaign about Joyce Elliott. I want this so much to be a campaign about the people, and I wanted them to know that uh, I, I want the press to also know this is a place where I want to say to you I invite you in um, this campaign is about uh, Arkansans and I can't just decide for myself how we're going to be better in district two I have ideas but I know there are lots of people out there who have many others and so it is going to be reflective and that was my way of saying this is about the people it is not just about some kind of generic campaign great that is you know, it's so refreshing to hear someone who's running for office that wants to listen to people as much <laughs> as they want to talk. So I'm going to have town halls and yes. <laughs> everything. Um, yeah. Yes. So I recently read some national polling that showed that undecided voters in the presidential primary mainly wanted two different qualities from their candidates. They wanted someone who is a fighter who will go to bat for them, and they also wanted someone who is a unifier that will bring people together. And some of the pundits commented that those are really incompatible qualities to have in one candidate, um, that it's impossible to be a fighter and a unifier. And I immediately (laughs) thought, well, they don't know Joyce Elliott. Um, So can you talk about how you navigate that line between advocating for what you believe in, but also building bridges. And I actually do navigate it. It's not just talk because I, I can I can say, for example, there is no such thing. I, I just almost dare anybody to ask any Republican, and I say this publicly all the time, that will tell you George Elliott will not work with them mm-hmm. because I absolutely do. And, um, and I mean, it's common knowledge, I think, but people know I'm a fighter and I never back down from that. But the way I put the, the two together, uh, the fighting comes naturally because that's just kind of how we are wired. I'm going to go there, I'm going <laughs> to fight for this and fight for that. But you can fight all you want to, but you got to have some other people come along with you. So I start out with getting to know people, getting to know something about them personally, not seeing them just as somebody who got elected. I do that. I make sure that if necessary, and it almost always is, I take the first step and start a conversation. And I don't just say I want to have this conversation from a standpoint of respect. You have to really mean it. Because if you don't really mean that, you can't sustain what it takes to keep on wanting to build relationships. But so I, I, I don't want to overblow it and say I'm a master at relationships, but I work at being a master at forming relationships. And then that person gets to know you. And so when we have to fight really hard on opposite sides, it's not personal. And we accept this because we hear it so much in the media. And um, it, it, it takes 
it, it really takes a, a commitment to make it happen. But I've done it so much now, it's just a natural thing for me, I'm happy to say. Well, if people want to support your campaign going forward, um, how can they help? Well, what they can do, and everybody knows that it takes money to run a campaign, and Lord knows I'm embarrassed at what it takes, and I can tell people there's nothing more humiliating than to have to ask for money. So the first thing they can do is don't make me ask. Just start going to <laughs> just start going to JoyceElliot.com and making a contribution, because you can make a contribution online. Or if you're the check counter person, you can send it to P uh, Elliot for Congress, P.O. Box 179. Uh, then the zip is 72203, Little Rock, 72203. But outside of money, there are things people can volunteer. Everybody has some kind of expertise. If, if, you, want, if you want to be the person you know, who's going to help us organize events, if you're going to be the person who's going to make phone calls, knock on doors, you have some particular expertise you want to come and just offer that we haven't thought about. When, when you go to uh, Elliot.com, uh, JoyceElliott.com, there is a place there where you can actually, when you click on it, it up in the right-hand corner, click on that little one, the little bar things, and there's a place where you can, can give feedback to the campaign, and you can tell us what you want to do, that you want to be a volunteer or whatever. But it is really clear to me we cannot win without a lot of that. And so far we have so much enthusiasm, and I am so pleased. And one of the things I want to do more than anything is have a campaign that's across generations. Mm-hmm. And last night at a fundraiser I had, there was, I mean, there was like at least three generations there. And I think that's important for our unity. I think it's important for us understanding that we owe each other something no matter what generation we're in. And it's fun. We're going to have a lot. Of, it's going to be hard. But I, what I say to everybody who's working this campaign, there's no need to work this hard and not have fun. Mm-hmm. That's not incompatible any more than being a, being a fighter and a unifier. So right. we can do both those things. Right. Yeah. And you demonstrate that every day. Every. Um, you're working hard and you have a yeah. smile on your face. Yes. So. It's, it makes it better. Well, so shifting gears a okay. little bit. Um, this week, Governor Hutchinson appeared before the Arkansas House Committee on City, County, and Local Affairs to defend his decision to allow a small number of refugees to resettle in Arkansas through the end of uh, the year 2020. Mm-hmm. Back in September, President Trump signed an executive order allowing states to choose whether to accept refugees for resettlement. And Governor Hutchinson decided to join at least 41 other states at this point in accepting refugees here in Arkansas. What is your take on that decision? Well, I think the governor, I think the governor made the right decision, and it's because, you know, having worked with the governor and worked up in the Capitol, I know that the governor is very hesitant uh, about moving to anything that might be controversial, and I'm sure he has thought it through. And one of the things people need to know, even before the governor thinks it through, people have gone through about an eight-tier vetting process before they could even be in our country. Uh, And so it's it's a matter of humanity, and I think with with a lot of thought and just a, a lot of what we say we are as caring Arkansans, we are in no way with the number, small number is really key here, that, that uh, we're going to be in any kind of danger. And that's not to say everybody's going to be an angel, but, but I, I think he made the right decision here. So 
Governor Hutchinson talked about how important the contributions of immigrants have been Mm -hmm. um, to American history as a whole and to Arkansas in particular. And he praised immigrants and refugees as part of what makes America great. Um, That language seems to be a little bit of a departure from the way that President Trump and the GOP have been talking about immigration issues. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, Governor Hutchinson received some criticism over this decision from GOP lawmakers. Uh, Given that the decision opened him up to criticism, why do you think it was important for him to to take this stance and to make this decision? And what is your take on the the anti-immigrant rhetoric that we've seen so much of? Well, I, um, when I was, when I was teaching, um, I noticed that the literature that I was teaching just had some things, and I was teaching literature. I had read some terrific authors uh, in college when I was an English major and a speech major and all that, uh, and a lot of that came from immigrants. Mm-hmm. A lot of that literature did. And when I started teaching, my students weren't getting that. So I went to my principal to ask if I could create a course um, that would encompass that, and, and from that, I wanted my students to begin to understand, without beating them over the head with it, just through a literary study of what immigrants have meant to this country and what they've, and what they've done. Um, and when, when the governor talked about those uh, contributions, it, I, for a lot of people, I think I'm a little bit surprised that they didn't recognize that, but I accept that they did not. And so when I look at being a legislator and the number of students who wanted to have an opportunity in our country, who wanted to go to college before we would allow them to go at the in-state tuition rate. They had dreams. They had dreams they shared with me and things they wanted to do. And many of them lost their dreams because they could not go to college at that time. This was an, these were actually immigrant kids who wanted to prepare themselves to make big contributions to our country. And, and we do have, of course, we like to talk about the doctors and the lawyers and so forth and that are the immigrants who made a great contribution, and that is all true. But I know teachers, the builders of our state, teachers who are immigrants who are essential to who we are. Same thing with nurses as well. And we even had the bill last time right. in this session to make it possible that a person who is an immigrant to this country, uh, and we have, have a shortage of nurses. But I think more than anything, we talk about America, and if we know anything about our own country, we know it is true that we are a country of immigrants. Whether mm-hmm. people like me came here by force, you know, my ancestors as an immigrant still are. Mm-hmm. And the only people I think who can make some claim to, you know, this land is probably the Native Americans or the American Indians. But we just cannot be the country we are if we don't recognize all those contributions. And, you know, when I first introduced the bill to try to get, uh, make sure that uh, immigrant students, uh, who had come to our country, could go to college. At that point, and that was a number of years ago, there were billions of dollars, billions with a B, of taxes that people who are immigrants who were not not um, yet authorized in our country. That was those, just those who were not authorized. Mm-hmm. Arkansas can't be all that it can be if we close our doors to people who want to, who want to come here and make a contribution. And it really saddens me with the rhetoric from from President Trump, considering... He has his very roots of success in an immigrant uh, father, grandfather, who came to this country. Mm-hmm. He his, has his roots in that success. And we have to continue to have that kind of success. And when people come to this country as an immigrant, 
they are not coming here to sit around. <laughs> right. Nobody bothers to come here that, you know, work that hard to get here. They are here to make a difference and a very good difference. Well, and I appreciated Governor Hutchinson yeah. for including yeah. those statements yeah. um, in what he said this week. I thought yeah. that was um, that was something that we all should take a moment and say mm-hmm. thanks. That was that was good. Uh, um, yes, I, I think this is a good opportunity to say somebody you might not normally mm-hmm. agree with, you should give them credit when they do the right thing. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ultimately, this issue may likely uh, end up being decided in the courts. On Wednesday, a federal court mm-hmm. in Maryland blocked President Trump's executive order holding that allowing states and municipalities to essentially veto refugee resettlement in their areas would violate uh, congressional intent. Mm -hmm. Also on Wednesday, the Commonwealth of Virginia voted to amend the United States Constitution, becoming the 38th and final state needed to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex. This may be a momentous day in history, Um, Or it may mean nothing at all. We don't actually know because it will depend on the outcome of competing federal lawsuits seeking to clarify whether Virginia can ratify the amendment long after the deadline originally imposed by Congress. Um, You sponsored a resolution to ratify the ERA last session. And that would have made Arkansas the final state to ratify uh, the ERA. But it came up short. Why was enshrining um, equal protection for women in the United States Constitution something that you felt strongly about? I, I feel so strongly about it because as a child, uh, as, a, as especially as a young student, mm-hmm. I just remember um, memorizing some of our most important documents. And it said it made all these promises about how we're all equal and how everybody gets an opportunity, everybody gets a chance. That didn't even apply to me as an African-American at the time. And as a child, Mm -hmm. I recognized that. And it didn't apply to me as a girl. (laughs) And and a little bit later, I recognized that. And I I was really, when I came to understand there were people working to have people who are girls, (laughs) uh, people who are women, enshrined in the most superior of all of our documents. Mm -hmm. I thought, we don't have to go back through all these other things and rewrite them. It's a simple amendment. And I was surprised it was controversial because, you know, I just thought, hey, we we teach kids, everybody's equal. And then we say, when it says all men, we ask that question in class and the teachers go, well, that applies to everybody. Yeah, it includes women too. Yeah, it just says men. Okay. Uh, But... As much as anything, you know, I, I have an eight-year-old, uh, eight-year-old granddaughter. I don't want her to even have to think about having this discussion mm-hmm. and wondering. And everybody else's eight-year-old granddaughter and, and everybody else's 88-year-old grandmother. I just think that we have come far enough today that we recognize that Constitution does not include us. Interestingly, though, on the same day, and by the way, Jennifer McClellan, who's a senator, is one of my really good friends, and she's the one who introduced it in the Senate, and I was just so happy. But interestingly, on that day, across the, you know, across the Pacific, there was a big article uh, about uh, the Japanese uh, prime minister, I think he is, but he is taking leave uh, when his, his wife has a baby. Paternity leave. Paternity leave. Right? Yes. Paternity leave. 
Well, one of the reasons that's probably not as, it's not a big deal with them socially, but when it comes to what's in their constitution, I think it's really interesting that the, uh, America took the lead in the writing of the Japanese constitution. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's in it is that the men and the women are equal under the law. It's so interesting. I said, on the very day the ERA passes, this is in the news. It right. just felt like the stars are aligned, and I hope they remain aligned, you know, when it goes to, to, the, uh, when it goes to uh, the Supreme Court. But it, this is important, too. I think we don't talk about this enough. This is important for our boys and our men as well, mm-hmm. because people think we're saying in, that, in, in the proposed resolution, women, but it's, that's not what it says. It's just basically equality right. for all, no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. And there are several things men haven't thought about, probably, that paternity leave could be one of mm-hmm. them. One of the reasons we don't think about that so easily is because we don't generally think about they have that right at all. Right. And, and so I wish we would begin to think about expanding this when it gets to the Supreme Court. We can demonstrate to the men there this is about everybody. It's just that mm-hmm. because the men have had the, uh, had the power most of the times. They could take the law you know, and, and fashion it more to their liking without even realizing that they are being discriminatory. Sometimes they do, but many times not because it seems so normal. So I'm excited about this happening, and I hope we'll prevail. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I teach constitutional law, and uh-huh. one of my favorite things to teach is um, talking about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and she had this genius strategy when she was a litigator long mm-hmm. before she joined the court, mm-hmm. and she was pushing for um, equal treatment yeah. under the law, uh-huh. and her strategy was to bring cases where men were the plaintiffs, right. and they were arguing that they had been discriminated against yes. based on the basis of sex. Yeah. And she was able to build up precedent uh-huh. Using those using cases, those, uh, yeah. um, and ultimately be able to create some law that helped women mm-hmm. argue for equality mm-hmm. by using the strategy of <laughs> yes. having men be the plaintiffs. Yes. Um, and it was—it's brilliant and it's genius. But under the current constitution, mm-hmm. um, women can be treated differently in a way that you can't treat race or religion that's right because there's a different standard that's that right, right um and so this would be a really big substantive mm-hmm. change mm-hmm. and so i think it um is something that everybody should be watching and we should watch yeah. for the outcome of these yeah. cases everybody should i'll tell you Allie, really quickly i did not when i when i turned 18 i literally thought i had to come and and um and and register with selective service mm-hmm. i did not it didn't even register to me that i didn't have to do that because i knew the guys had to Mm-hmm. I just thought I just that's just one example. I'm not saying everybody wants to, you know. You were ready, ready to go. To, I really was, and I, and whether I was ready to go or not, I thought it was just my duty. Right. Uh, and for guys, whether they want to or not, you just have to go. You just have to, yeah. And, yeah. Well, um, <laughs> so many of the news stories that we are seeing right now really challenge perceptions about the role of women in business or in public life and politics. So we're talking about electability debates right. regarding the female presidential candidates, mm-hmm. uh, the Me Too movement, and then this renewed uh, emphasis on passing the ERA. Right. And I just wanted to ask you, you have a granddaughter mm-hmm. who is growing up right now. What do you think that she is learning from what she's seeing, especially her grandmother running for United States Congress? What do you hope she's learning? Oh, I, I mean, I know some of what she's learning because she tells me all the time, uh, Yabby, that's what she calls mm-hmm. me. Well, if you're going to do it, I'm going to do it. <laughs> you know, and I go, I better be careful about what I'm doing. <laughs> um, but, but I do think she is learning uh, 
especially with our relationships, because she understands what I do. She knows I work at the Capitol. Mm -hmm. She already thinks she can work at the Capitol. She's already asked me to, if she could take a picture sitting up there with a gavel calling everything to order. So it's just not going to occur to her she can't do it. She has been to the Capitol and she has sat in my seat with Elliot on it. You know, I wanted to take a picture and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So this is not foreign to her at all. But she also knows about... um, the responsibility that I have, because one of the things that, that happened, and this just happened uh, organically, we would be out places and people need to talk to me, and she would she wants my attention and somebody else's talk, and I've had to explain to her that part of my work at the Capitol means I have to work for people as mm-hmm. well. And so now she has understood, okay, I'll just stand back. That's what she'll say. Mm-hmm. I'll just stand back. And I think that's really important for her because I really want her to understand that you can um, enter whatever arena you have to, you want to, but it's really important to consider people, especially if you're in politics, and that's where she seems to be leaning. And she mm-hmm. knows, for example, when I was um, when I was a girl, I was an athlete, and, but I've talked to her about how I couldn't go to college on a scholarship, and right now, you know, she's in three different sports at eight. You know, like all kids are. Oh goodness! It's n- yeah, <laughs> you know how this that is, works. This is new to yeah. us, but we're getting yeah, there. It is crazy, isn't it? But it's, it, she's never going to have to think about if I chose to, if I'm good enough and I want to get a scholarship, this, I, I hope it's not taken away. But uh, I, it is, and when, you know, when Hillary was running for, uh, for president, um, she, we went to, we dressed up in our pearls and our white clothes and everything, mm-hmm. and she couldn't wait to go to the watch party. <laughs> She learned to be exuberant and excited and disappointed all in the same night. So that this came, you know, it, that it, it doesn't. It's something that you know always has two sides to it. But there's not a side here that you're denied just because you are a woman. Uh, and so um, I and I can't tell you Ella, the number of girls that I run into that because I went to girl state, something mm-hmm. I said, something I did, some way I treated them. One of them is just like you right now. I met just last night. I'm a lawyer now, Senator Elliott, because of what you said 10 years ago at Girls' Day. You talk about a tearjerker. I mean, ah, she just hit, she had just passed the bar. And things like that, right. just, I mean, it's just worth it. Uh, every bit of what I do to try to help girls and women understand uh, knowing their value type right. thing, you know. Well, and I hadn't meant to mention this, but what you said reminded me, something that meant a lot to me was uh-huh. that last session, um, there were some comments made about women making decisions based on emotion. Yes. And you were able to stand up and say, I, I'm not a man, I am a woman, uh-huh. and this is part of my strength, yes. and this is part of how you know yeah. I approach the world, and it's good. And that was so refreshing for someone like me, who's a lawyer. Uh-huh. You know, I, I do get emotional about sure. my work and about my cases sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it was really, really impactful to hear someone say, that's not something to be ashamed of. That's something to be proud of. That's right. You know? That's right. Because um, yeah. so, we, we, we don't all need to try to be men. Right. <laughs> it's really good to have both. You know. Um, yeah. Well, so we're going to wrap up. Normally, uh, they do endorsements, which is just something that you would like to endorse or recommend to the listeners. So I know you've been very busy. I don't know if you have time. Um, but do you have anything that you would like to endorse? Right you now? know, I haven't been very busy, and everything is just getting away from me. But I am, I am so. I know everybody. I am into Lizzo. I just think, I just think that. I mean, I don't know all of her music really well. I know some of it, but I just think who she is and what she represents is. 
it's just the coolest thing in the world because we have so many girls, young girls particularly, questioning their, you know, their bodies and whether or not I look good enough and all mm-hmm. that. And the fact that and when she pulls out the little flute, though, I'm just like, oh, Lizzo, I love that. You know? Right. But, uh, it's, I think she is, she is uh, dissonance in the best kind of way because you can't peg her and put her in one place or the other. That's something. That's something we need. Oh, we all need to see. Yeah, I love Lizzo. I, I, lo- I love the fact that she is just unabashedly <laughs> herself, and yes. she just encourages people right. to, um, you know, to get out there and, and do what they love. And, mm-hmm. You know, I, I love it that my daughter is growing up in a time that that is someone right. that she can look right. up to. Yeah. Um, I will endorse a show called Cheer on Netflix. Okay, it is a six-episode documentary series about competitive cheerleading at Navarro Community College in Corsicana, Texas. And I know that there are people out there that tuned out as soon as I said cheerleading. Um, But even if you have no interest in cheerleading, it gives the backstories for these athletes. Um, The drama is really compelling, and it's just really well made. I highly recommend it. Cheer on Netflix. I have heard so much about it. I haven't seen it, but I've heard so much about it. Um, Uh, And I'm also going to endorse quickly the Pulaski County Imagination Library. Yeah. Uh, This is part of Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. Dolly was inspired to create it because her own father could not read and write, and uh-huh. she didn't have a lot of access uh, to books as a child. Mm-hmm. And so the Imagination Library is a nonprofit that gives free children's mm-hmm. books to mm-hmm. kids every month from birth until age five. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people in central Arkansas may not realize, because it's been fairly quiet, but Pulaski County Imagination Library delivered its very first book in May of 2018. Mm-hmm. And since then, it now serves over... 10,000 kids in Pulaski County, and it has already delivered over 90,000 books in Pulaski County. Um, And so people can donate, volunteer, or register at PCARIL.org, and it's just, I think it's a fantastic... Yeah, I think it is too, and, I, and, and it does great work. I mean, they're into other countries now even, which right. is terrific. But something else I wanted to endorse is kind of like, uh, there, there are two books out there I want to say something about real quickly. Yes. One of them is, I, I'm reading this one now, I mean, I'm really, but I haven't read a novel in so long because everything I read is, you know, nonfiction. And this one is The Death of Expertise mm-hmm. and the way we are, quote-unquote, looking at perhaps, you know, almost what the author says, dumbing down our country because we, we, we somehow have just given into we want to have a shortcut to becoming whatever we're going to become. And that's not a good way to keep our country on top and moving on top. So uh, I really hope people will read that book. The other one that I, I haven't read yet, uh, but I am a big fan of uh, Mika Brzezinski and the Knowing Your Value. Mm-hmm. That woman has come so far in making sure she's centered on other women. But the one that they have, she wrote with her sister-in-law now, I've forgotten her name, but she's a Brzezinski too, married to her brother. But this one is knowing your value as a woman, as a young woman, and 60, 60 and beyond. Mm-hmm. It's encompassing this thing about generations that I think about so much. Because many women uh, maybe will be forced into retirement early or they don't ever get back into the work, into work before they, before they, um, uh, have realized, you know, the best of their their uh, futures. And then when they want to come back, say, at age 50 or 60, that is really, really hard for women. And this book talks about, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it, it talks about 
please understand you have value. Mm-hmm. It's not a whether or not you're 35 or 40 or whatever, but up to whatever point you want to decide you want to come back uh, you know, and be what you want to be. And we, we tend to let people know. We tend to put a time limit on. Uh, when you are valuable. But that's part of our ageism in our country. Yeah. You know, it seems like there's a theme emerging from our conversation. So we talked about Lizzo. We talked about how, you know, women approaching their work with some emotion can be a good thing. Yes. And this, I think it all and comes the back to the idea that there may be some difference, but yes. there's value there's in that difference. That's, yes. um, yeah. And I think that's a really strong and inspiring message. Um, yeah. So on that note, I guess we can uh, close it out and say... Thank you to everyone who's listened, and see you soon. I'm not sure when, but hopefully we'll come back and do another takeover soon. Sure. Thanks for having me, Allie. Thank you. (laughs) Bye-bye.